Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. I want to be a part of that, don't you? Some of you are going, I want to be in the big ball. I just want to get in that big ball and just kind of have that. We should bring that down to the parking lot. Wouldn't that be fun? And that would be the way we get all our, you know, our hostility out. We get in those balls and roll around. But thank you, those of you that have been giving and praying and serving. What a difference. Today's a big day. We're launching in Brampton right now, exactly as we meet here. And we've been praying for that. And so we're just looking forward to hearing the report. Look, get your notes out. Get your app out. Get your bulletin out. We have notes in the inside of the bulletin that you can take today. We're getting into a brand new series and it's called This is Living, and if you're online this morning, we're handed out bulletins that look like this. Don't you love the picture on the front there? I mean, this, it's called This is Living, and this just looks perfect. Everybody's smiling, they're happy, and it says, you know, choosing joy in life's everyday moments. So everybody's smiling, they're happy with their friends, they're doing a selfie, and it's just like, this is picture-perfect time. So it's a great series and a great message. Here's the reality. Our life isn't always like that. How many of yours is always like that picture? I didn't think so. It's an interesting thing. It's a phenomenon about our society. What we do is we portray the best parts of our life. So when you go to a movie or you look at a billboard or you look at people's Facebook or Instagram or social media accounts, we always see the best pictures. And sometimes I just want your life because you seem to have a much better life than I have. I see some of the pictures. I go, wow, you're, you're doing the this is living stuff. But life's not always that easy, is it? Sometimes we're dealing with real deep financial pressures, or sometimes it's health issues, or sometimes it's relationship issues. Sometimes it's just the pressure of jobs that we deal with. And those aren't the times that we pull out our phones and we do a selfie. I've never seen anybody do a selfie of, boom, this is me with my visa bill. <laughs> or here's, here, here's a picture of me four days into my flu and my nose is running, my eyes are red. You never see those pictures, but it happens, doesn't it? And so we always have this picture-perfect portrayal that we give to the world, and even like the picture that's on your bulletin, we say, now this is living, but as soon as we see the image, instantly inside we go, my life's not like that. I'm in the middle of a relationship issue right now, and I'm dealing with something that is just so complex, and it's confounding to me, and it's troubling to me, and I don't want anybody to take a selfie because I'm really struggling with this. Some of you are dealing with health issues you haven't even told people about. And you just put a brave face on and you come to church like this and we worship and we raise our hands and you're going, boy, Doug, if you knew my story, it's not this is living, I'm just trying to live right now. So here's what I want to do. Our series is going to get into the gritty parts of living. We're going to talk about the real things that we all face. We have struggles, we have challenges, we have all kinds, a myriad of challenges that come at us. And here's what I know. The Bible says that in the middle of it, we can choose joy in life's everyday moments. Now, Paul is the best one to lead us into this. Who better than Paul? After all, he wrote all these letters of the New Testament, and what's common in these letters that he would write is he wouldn't always put kind of the, the rosy picture. He would go, my life was hard. I was beaten. I was left for dead. I was thrown outside the city gate. I was hungry. They rejected me. I was flogged and thrown into a prison. He, he wrote with such candor and openness. 
So Paul is this perfect individual who's able to speak to us and lead us into this series. So we're going to actually look at one of the letters that Paul wrote, and it's a letter to the believers in Philippi. And it's the letter of Philippians that we're going to be talking about over the fall. Now, he went through so many different circumstances that we want to look at them and extract out of his world, what's the recipe for joy? This is a man who was chained to the wrist of an imperial guard, sentenced to die, and he didn't know when. It could happen at any time. So each day was a day was a gift for him. And every day would be, you know, not just in a, a prison somewhere. He's next chained to an imperial guard, and he's having to live with that reality. And yet this is a guy that goes, and I know how to be joyful. In fact, in Philippians, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll tell you too. Yeah. When you're in your worst moment, that's hard to do. When you're facing a crisis, that's hard to do. We don't feel like rejoicing, and yet Paul says rejoice, and we hear words like that come out of the Bible, and we go, that's just not real life. Well, tell Paul. Tell Paul when you have an imperial guard waiting for the order from Caesar. I'll bring him out. We'll beat him, and we'll kill him. I have no problem with that. And Paul says, hey, my friends in Philippi, rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to say it again, rejoice. And so he's able to speak into our lives in ways that are going to profoundly change us. Now, here's my commitment to you. I'm going to do everything I can possibly do this fall to accelerate your spiritual growth, but I need your input. I need you to embrace the journey with me and choose to step into learning and growing. Can you do that? So I'm going to give you my best on Sunday morning, and I'm going to give it to you, and then I'm going to ask you to do something very unique with this this year. Uh, we often have an opportunity for people, if you're a part of a growth group, get into your growth groups this fall. You're going to know by the time I'm done this morning, we didn't cover everything I wanted to. I'm going to give you lots to talk about, lots to think about and pray about, but most importantly, lots that's going to change you. But in your growth group, you can talk to each other, challenge each other, grow with each other, and I want you to get in your growth groups because you're going to grow spiritually this fall. That's my commitment to you. If you take it seriously, you're going to grow exponentially. If you're not in a growth group, that's about 60% of our group. So 60% of us have never stepped into some type of growth group, study group, uh, journey together. Here's what I know. If you try to do this on your own, you're going to struggle because we're better when we're together with other people. The Bible says that a cord of two or three is not easily broken. It means we're better. That's why I got married because I needed somebody to tell me how to live my life better. So yay, Laura. That's right. Right, men? That's why we married our wives. Thank you, John. You and I both... Our Christmas gifts this year are going to be amazing. The rest of you husbands, you lost it. I gave you a shot, and you just threw that down there. We are better when we're together. And so if you've never been in a growth group, this is your day. Go to the gym as soon as we're done. Our leaders are there to help you understand how to get connected or download our app. Get into our app. You can sign up on the app. I want you in a growth group, not so that you're in a group, so that you're growing spiritually and becoming more Christ-like this year. And I just know that what we're going to cover, you're going to want to be a part of it. And you're going to see why in just a few moments. Can we do that together? All right, let's do that. So let's get back into this. So Paul is chained to an imperial Roman guard. He knows that his time is right on the cusp. Any moment, Caesar can call him out, judge him, execute him, and it's over. And he writes a letter to the Philippians. And he starts to lay out in there this poignant, deeply personal and powerful, principle-packed letter that says, here's how you choose joy in your everyday moments. And this morning, I'm actually going to show you what happens when life takes you into an interruption that you weren't expecting that you'd have to deal with. And it's when we get into these moments, you start to discover where God truly shines his best. 
So to understand the letter to the Philippians, here's what we want to do this morning. I, I need to take you to the backstory, and that's the book of Acts. So in the book of Acts, if you're new to the Bible, welcome to the journey. It's so good to have you with us. The Gospels tell the story and life of Jesus Christ. The book of Acts tells the actions of the church leaders in the mid to late, you know, mid to later mid first century as they went out and planted churches and the gospel was spreading. So that's Acts of the Apostle, the book of Actions. So the book of Actions, all those churches and leaders that it speaks about in there, well, that's what you read when you read Romans through Revelation. So all the rest are just letters. You can tie them all back into the book of Acts. You're going to find them in there somewhere. So today, get your Bibles. We're going to go to Acts chapter 16, and I do need you to get your Bibles because it's going to be a little bit of a different type of message. We're actually going to go back and forth into the Scripture quite often. And so I'm not going to go to the screen. I'm going to go to your Bible. So whether you got it electronically, in print, if you forgot your Bible today and your, your neighbor has a really nice one, reach over, take it, we're going to love each other, and give it back after the service, okay? Here we go. I was only kidding there. All right, good. little nervous laughter. Acts chapter 16, go down to verse 6. So here's what we read. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea, we sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there for several days. Here's what I want you to see. We're going to put an image up on the screen real quick if you can get that map for me. This is the story. It's called The Second Missionary Journey of the Apostle Paul. Paul and Barnabas have separated ways. You'll find that in the book of Acts. He picks up Silas and he says, Silas, we're going to go do missionary journey together. Silas goes, let's do this. Luke joins him. He's going to record the events. Notice on the very right-hand side of the screen, see the red line with the arrowhead? Everybody got that? Extreme right-hand side, middle of the screen, arrowhead, right by the city. It's called Antioch in the region of Syria. They set out from Antioch. They move through Cilicia. They start to move into Galatia, up into Asia. And the Bible has just told us that Paul wanted to go into Asia, and he was told no. So then he starts to move north, and he's headed to go up into Bithynia. And that's at the very top, up by the Black Sea in the center of the screen there. He starts to move towards Bithynia, thinking, okay, well, let's take the gospel into there. So he's staying primarily in the Asian continent. And when he tries to go there, again, the Spirit of the Lord says, Paul, no. And so then Paul's got to do something now. So let's stop right here. Paul is facing a serious decision. What do you do when you face an interruption in your life? Do you continue to chart your own course and do what you think is best and push through because it's what you plan to do in the first place? After all, you, you told the church leaders, you told your friends, you told your family, I'm going to preach in Asia. Or do you listen to the redirect of the Holy Spirit and allow an interruption to become a transformational moment in your life? Now, we read the story. That's why I'm going to keep, have you keep the Bible open today. We read the story, and we lose the nuances of it because of its history. We celebrate the fact that Paul 
listened to the Spirit of the Lord, saw a vision from a man from Macedonia, went over to Macedonia, and began to preach the gospel. We celebrate that. Here's what I want to bring you back to. Paul had to make a decision. Am I going to listen to God? Am I going to allow this interruption in my life to redirect my focus? Or am I going to choose to continue to go my own way? I raise that because all of us face those moments. Yours might be in a relationship. It could be in your finances. It could be your career. It could be your work. It could be your future. We will face moments where interruptions come. And in those interruptions, how do we choose joy in an interruption? And how do we discern whether or not we're going to obey the redirect or we're going to continue to chart our own course? And human nature says, I want to do it my way. That's why Elvis sang it. Frank Sinatra sang it. We all love to do it. Now, you guys, you've all done karaoke. You know what to do. Yeah, we like to do it. I did it my way. Life interruptions put us into this precarious position. Do I listen and trust the voice of God? And do I embrace this interruption? And that's why I say this is living, choosing joy in life's everyday moments because sometimes interruptions are painful, they're messy, they're disturbing, and they're full of uncertainty. And Paul said, I'll follow you, God. And so we can celebrate. I'm going to give you three observations today out of this interruption in Paul's life that can apply to your life. And some of you, you need to hear this today and you need to pray this through carefully because I want to show you what God can do if you listen to an interruption. You ready to take some notes? Buckle up. We're going to fly. Here we go. Number one, let's talk about this. Uh, When I look at Paul's life and I look at this interruption, when he sees this vision of this man, there comes this opportunity for uh, an unparalleled opportunity is the way I phrased it. When Paul recognized that the interruption is something that God was doing, in the middle of the interruption comes this unparalleled opportunity. So I want to show it to you. And if you have your Bibles open, we're going to go and have, uh, we're going to further down, I want to read the verses again. It says that Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Fergie and Galatia. And twice now, it says they were kept from the Holy Spirit from entering into both Asia and Bithynia. You say, well, Doug, so what's the big deal about that? Here's what I want you to recognize. Sometimes God's leading comes through closed doors, not always open doors. We love to talk about open doors. God opened doors for me. God, give me an open door that I can walk through. And those are good. Nothing wrong with that. But I need some of us this morning to hear this. There are times when you face an interruption in your life that you're tempted to pray, God, what are you doing? And God knows what he's doing. He's closing doors because he's interrupting your life because he has a better path for you to go. And he wants you to follow. Can I get the map now back on the screen, uh, guys, real quick? I want you to notice that when Paul was up, and you see how the line goes across through the green area, Galatian, into Asia, and then he heads up north, and that's where he was trying to push up into Bithynia. Two times, God says to him, Paul, I'm stopping you. I'm interrupting your plans. And Paul finally realizes God's up to something. And look at the red line at the top of Asia. Paul takes a hard left and moves all across Asia over to Troas, and from there they go across, and they'll eventually land in the area of Philippi. And you go, what's so important about that? You can take that down. Thanks, guys. What's so important about Philippi? Well, this unparalleled opportunity that God was preparing is all couched in this little colony that's called Philippi, 42 B.C. If you go back to 42 B.C., it's when Brutus and Cassia assassinated Julius Caesar. So Mark Antony and Octavian march out with their troops and they do the battleground on this little plot of land that's called Philippi. And they defeat the assassins and they establish a Roman colony, 31 BC. Octavian and Mark Antony go to battle on the same ground and Octavian wins. He renames the little city that's there 
into his own name, and he later takes the name Augustus. That familiar to anybody? Caesar? There you go. Caesar Augustus. All the history is beginning to tie in together, and it's called the Roman colony. This is so powerful. When you're in your small groups, growth groups talk about this. It was called a Roman colony for a very specific reason. This wasn't just an outpost. This was located on a military highway, a Roman military highway. It was given the full privileges of Rome. That means they had Roman law, Roman citizenry, Roman dress, Roman architecture, Roman coinage, everything about it. If you stepped in, you would think you were in little Rome. It was all Roman. So at the same time, to really catch what's taking place here, the people of the city were holding this high status because it's a wealthy city with full recognition as a Roman city, not, not just a small colony. We're talking about a powerful, wealthy place with all the rights and privileges of Rome. And what does God do as Paul's trying to go up into Bithynia and Asia? He goes, Paul, I need you to go somewhere. My interruption in your life, you have no idea what I'm about to do. And I'm going to send you to one of the most strategic points in the map that's going to blow Europe wide open, if you'll follow me. Friends, you have no idea when God interrupts your life plan what he's about to do. But if you trust him and you follow him, there are unparalleled opportunities that God's going to release in this. So I want to show you how these opportunities continue to develop. So they follow God and they trust him. And as they move across, would you go in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16 and drop down to verse 13. Look at the opportunities that begin to emerge. It says, On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and we began to speak to the women who had gathered there. And one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me to be a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. This is unbelievable. Now watch this. Paul gets interrupted by God. He says, okay. And he's telling, and if you're with Paul's entourage, you'd be going, the guy doesn't know what he's doing. Because he goes, Silas, Luke, we're going to go north to Asia. We're in. Paul, let's go. So they head north to Asia. And Paul gets up one morning and goes, we're not going to go to Asia. Well, okay, where are we going to go? We're going to go to Bithynia. So they follow Paul. Paul gets up the next day. We're not going to Bithynia. If I was on that tour, I'd want my money back. Turn the bus around. Let's go back down to Antioch. And Paul goes, well, where are we going to go? I'm not quite sure yet, but let's go out to Troas because the Aegean Sea, everybody loves the seaport. So they head off to the Aegean. They get to Troas, Macedonian vision. And Paul goes, I get it. God's calling us. So they go across and they get into Philippi. And here's what's so beautiful about this. What did Paul consistently do every time he visited a city on the Sabbath? Not a trick question. He went to the synagogue. He'd go to the synagogue. Why would he do that? Because he's got the gospel of the message of Jesus Christ, which is rooted in Judaism, and he wants to share it with his fellow Jews so they would understand the message of hope and life. They would come to faith in Jesus Christ, and a church would erupt. You'd have a church plant. But it says that he doesn't go to a synagogue. In fact, what did it say? It says on the Sabbath, they went to find a place of prayer outside the city gates, down by the river. You go, what does that tell us? It tells us that the presence of Judaism and a Jewish population was negligible in the city because by this time, Rome had already expelled the Jews from the city of Rome because they considered it to be a superstition and they outlawed its practice. So in a Roman colony like Philippi, they were doing the exact same thing. And the reason they were meeting outside the city gate is most likely it was illegal to meet inside the city. 
The other thing you should note, it takes at least 10 adult men to constitute a synagogue. And if you don't have 10 adult men, you can't formalize a synagogue, which means there was probably not even 10 Jewish men living in the city. So Paul goes outside the city gate on the Sabbath thinking, well, let's go find a place of prayer. There's got to be people here that worship God. And he goes outside down to the river. And here's something to note. Talk about this when you get together. Paul sits down and he begins to teach. And you go, okay. To sit down was the posture of a rabbi. So when he sat down, immediately anybody who was gathered for prayer there would go, we got a, we got a teacher in there. It's, we got somebody who's trained. We got a rabbi. We got somebody who can t- talk to us here today. And so all of a sudden these ladies start to move in towards him. And one of them is a woman by the name of Lydia. And she's listening to Paul. And God is working in her heart in a powerful way. What did the Bible say happened to her? She responded to Paul's message. And she invites Jesus Christ into her life. Isn't that cool? And so Paul is teaching, and she goes, I want to get baptized. I want to be baptized. I want to become a follower of Jesus. And not only Lydia says her entire household gets baptized. Now, that's kind of a cool thing when God interrupts you, that God's about to do something greater than you could ever imagine had Paul gone the other way. It's always good to go visit old friends, but it's always cool when God's doing something new in your life. And if you're in the middle of a situation where you don't like the interruption you're in, Look at what God's going to do, not what is happening in this moment, because God's getting something better. It's an unparalleled opportunity. So not only does she get baptized and her entire household gets baptized, it gets so much better than this. She opens up her home. She says, Paul, if you believe that I'm a follower of Jesus, come and what? Stay with us. How cool is that? Paul hadn't, he didn't have a red roof inn or a Motel 6, and now he's got this beautiful, wealthy woman that says, come and live in my house and you can hang out with me. Write this down. When you're not writing, write this down. When your heart is gripped by grace, your actions will be governed by grace. When your heart is gripped by grace, your actions and lifestyle are going to be governed by grace. You go, Doug, what are you talking about? When this woman came to faith in Jesus Christ and she realized everything that God had done for her and how her sins had been forgiven and she's got new life in Jesus Christ, all of a sudden she goes, you can have my home, you can have my car, you can have my camels, you can, whatever she had, you can have my cash, come and let me serve you with all that I have so that the kingdom of God might grow. People always complain. They go, you know, the church is always asking for money. The church should never have to ask for money. The church should never have to raise the issue of money because if you truly have a heart that's been touched by grace, then your actions will be governed by grace and you will freely give your resources so that God's kingdom can expand because any opportunity to give is exactly what Lydia shows us. And friends, they all get baptized. They follow Christ. And so in this wonderful response, we see the opportunity for the gospel to get established. It was an unparalleled opportunity. Pause. Have you been baptized? Some of you need to get water baptized. And here you see it right away. These new believers are going, I need to do this. So this is not simply a symbolic ritual. This is an opportunity to make a powerful declaration that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And these people were being baptized within the full view of a Roman colony where they knew that Judaism had been outlawed. And they're going, we don't care. We love Jesus. And we want the world to know that we love Jesus. And so we're getting baptized and people can know that we're followers of Jesus. I love the story. It is so powerful. So our life interruptions are filled with unparalleled opportunities. Friends, God's doing something. So what's the journey. What's your interruption? Is it a relationship issue that you're struggling with? Is it a challenge in your finances? Are you struggling over, this isn't the life that I thought I was going to live? Then let God direct you 
and trust him. Because sometimes, friends, what we're trying to do is we're trying to open doors that God has already closed instead of following his leading to where he's taken us. Amen? So we see this powerful, powerful revelation that's taking place here. Well, let's move on so we can stay on track today. So how do you respond into the middle of all of this? Well, here's what happens. When our life is interrupted and we experience these unparalleled opportunities and we give our lives to Jesus Christ, all of us, those online, everybody listening to my voice, all of us know one thing to be true. We will then have perfect lives free of any kind of pain and difficulty and failure and disappointment, right? Oh, no. People tell us that, that if you follow Jesus, it should just be this perfect life. Anybody tells you that, they're delusional. So here's what I want you to write down in your notes. Unexpected resistance. When when unparalleled opportunities come through a life interruption, you can always expect there's going to be resistance. And Paul demonstrates this so powerfully. So we look at the story. Paul is now there preaching. He's got an established base. Lydia has opened up her home. And as they're ministering together, I want you to notice what happens. If your Bibles are at Acts chapter 16, would you drop down to verse 16? Now watch what Paul says. He said, once we were going to the place of prayer, and we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future, and she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. So she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. You thought you had some annoying neighbors. Finally, Paul became so annoyed, I love that he's honest, he became so annoyed that he turned around and he said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. And when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged him into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are who? Jews. So, outlawed. These men are Jews and they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs that are unlawful for us Romans to accept or even to practice. And the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and he fastened their feet to the stocks. Here they are following God's leading. They go through an interruption. They trust God. God's open up opportunity and all of a sudden there's unexpected resistance. You've got to go, whoa, 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 whoa. I got questions. Anybody else? I got some big questions. Number one, why did Paul get so annoyed when the girl is following him around saying, these are the servants of the Most High God telling you how to be saved? Isn't that a good thing? Anybody else think that? I read that and I go, well, isn't that a good thing? Isn't any publicity good publicity? And so if you're in the city and you're in Philippi and you've got your, you don't even have to pay for this. It's like free internet advertising. You know, they're just Google me. I got a woman walking around behind me going, these men are servants of the most high God. They're telling you how to be saved. And I'm thinking, that's kind of cool. You're not even paying for that advertising. Here's what Paul knew. Paul knew that she was being demonically controlled by an evil spirit, that she was fortune telling. That meant people were paying huge sums of money continuously, making her owners rich in hopes that she might tell them their future. And Paul also understood that the demonic spirit within her may give you a slice of truth, but eventually lead you towards death and destruction, because that's the work of what the enemy always does. 
And the last thing that Paul wanted was for people to be going to a demonically controlled girl thinking that she had the pathway to salvation, insight to salvation. And Paul knew this is wrong. This is just absolutely wrong. And he turns around and he rebukes the spirit. The spirit leaves this girl. And now her owners are sump-kicked. So they get flogged. They're thrown in prison. We'll come to that in just a moment. But I do want to stop here for a moment. When Paul spoke to the spirit, whose name did he use? Yeah, in the name of Jesus. Now, if you're new to faith, I want you to catch this, and if you've been in the church for a while, please catch this. Talk about this in your groups. When Jesus came, the Bible says that he would be authenticated. He would be proved by his ministry, by the power of the Spirit. And the Bible says that he was, the Spirit came upon him. He was full of the Spirit. And when he would speak, his word was enough to cause miracles to happen. Would you agree? Many times in synagogues, outside of synagogues, people would be controlled by an evil spirit, and Jesus would speak the word... And the Spirit would leave the person. You remember reading this in the Scriptures and the Gospels. And if you're new, go read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'll see this. The Spirit's leave. Then Jesus, when he's finished his ministry, he ascends into heaven and he goes, Oh, by the way, all authority has been given to me. I'm going to give all authority to you. And my Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to be my witnesses. And furthermore, you're going to have the same power. In fact, John says you're going to do greater things than Jesus did because you got the power of the Spirit. So the, the disciples and the apostles begin to minister. And Paul does exactly what Jesus had been doing, only he doesn't do it in the name of Paul. He understood something. Everything that we do is in the name of Jesus. It's for his glory. It's his power alone, nobody else. And so Paul turns towards this girl with the spirit and he looks right at her and he goes, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And boom, that spirit has to leave her and comes out. And she's set free and she's liberated. Why is it that we think that somehow between Jesus and Paul till today, something's been lost? It's the same spirit. It's the same power. It's the same authority. Now, for the church, here's what we need to catch. There are... There are so many people in the church who are followers of Jesus Christ who are living in fear of the power of the enemy, and his power has been broken. His power has been defeated. So when you read a story like this, we're not reading into history, we're reading life, and we're reading opportunity. And when resistance comes, Paul recognized resistance is coming, but he's got the power of Jesus on his side. He doesn't have to be afraid of anything. Friends, some of you need to understand this. Jesus said that he has defeated the power of death and hell and sickness and darkness. It's done. It's all done. Where's Jesus right now? In heaven, seated at... Why is he sitting down? It's all done. All power is his. He's finished. There's a little quiet over here. I need a little more yelling out of this side. You guys are with me. You got me fired up, and I'm going to start going this way here. But yeah, John, you got to help me out over here a bit. So here's what I want you to catch. This isn't fanaticism. This is who we are. We are called to be followers of Jesus Christ. He says, I'll put my spirit in you. And Paul praises, man, I'm praying that you'll understand who the spirit is in you and the power that you have that's within you. You don't have to walk in fear. Do you guys hear me? Okay. You don't have to walk in fear and doubt and uncertainty. You have the presence of the spirit. And when you speak to the spirit, the spirit has to go. It has to go out. So when you command it in the name of Jesus, that situation has to change. Your life interruption has to change. Now, some of you are married. You cannot go home to your spouse and say, in the name of Jesus, come out. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. We're going to be clear, all right? I just want to make sure because I could get into the... You guys are going to have fun in growth groups this week. All right, so you got all this going on. And Paul and Silas, they get beaten to an inch of their life, thrown into the inner prison cell. 
And now they're inside this prison cell, and this is unexpected resistance in the middle of a life interruption. And what do you do there? What do you do when you trusted God, when you followed his leading, when you start to see something take place that's really good, and all of a sudden you're seeing people set free, and you're seeing demons cast out of people, and the church is beginning to grow, and you're seeing just the wonderful presence of the Spirit of the Lord, and all of a sudden you're beaten within an inch of your life, and you're thrown inside of the prison, and it's dark and musty and damp, and the Bible says it's in the inner cell, and they're locked into stocks and chains. I mean, they're treating them like hardened, uh, vicious criminals. They're in the worst conditions possible. Yes, sir, you read your Bible. It says that they began to praise and sing. Friends, joy is not based on fickle emotion. Joy is based on foundational truth that Jesus is with me no matter where I am. And I can be in the darkest, dampest prison cell, or I can be on the mountaintop worshiping him, but joy comes through my relationship with Christ. So Paul and Silas are in the prison, and what do they start doing? They start singing, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say... Okay, that's an old chorus, but you know, I don't know what they sang. It was like first century. And they're singing and praising God. They're not moaning and complaining about their circumstances. They were chained in. And the Bible says that all the other prisoners are listening to them. How you respond in the middle of your resistance, everybody else is watching. How you respond when you face resistance, you have the eyes of a five-year-old. You may have the eyes of a 30-year-old skeptic. You may have the eyes of a supervisor or a spouse, an unbelieving spouse. How you respond in the face of the resistance that you face will determine the level of joy that you experience in your life. And they start singing and praising God, and I love how this happens. All right, I got to take 40 minutes now and get you down into about five. So for those of you that like to take notes, the last two words you need to fill in your blanks are on this. It's called unprecedented favor, and I'll I'll tell the story this way. So the Bible says that Paul and Silas are in the inner part of the cell, and they're worshiping and praising God, and all of a sudden this horrific earthquake comes, and I love it. It says it just shakes the city, and their chains fall, and their stocks are released, and they're complete. The prisoners, not just a couple of them, it says the prisoners are set free. So here they are, and you got to believe, they were, I'm, I'm sure they were a little bit shocked too, because, you know, just imagine you're in there singing away, and you're all chained up and bound up, and you're inside, and you're singing, you know, glory to God in the highest, and then all of a sudden, everything starts dropping you off, go, glory to God in the highest, that's kind of really cool. And it says that the jailer discovered that there was an earthquake, and that the prison doors had flung open, and he knew that the prisoners had escaped. So Luke records that the the jailer, the warden, a public servant, servant of Roman authorities, he draws his sword to kill himself. And as he's about to kill himself, you see, it's better to die at the hands of a suicide than it is to face a death of public shame. He didn't want to go before the Roman authorities. He'd rather die in suicide and take away that opportunity. So he's about to kill himself. And now watch carefully, because we miss the nuance. God whispers a word of knowledge to Paul. You go, how do you know it was a word of knowledge? Because the Bible says that they were in the inner cell. It was so dark that when the jailer actually went in, he had to get lights to go in to see them. They could not see what the jailer was about to do. God whispers a word of knowledge to Paul. He says, Paul, speak now. And Paul shouts out and he goes, wait, don't kill yourself. We have not left here. And the jailer immediately calls for the lights and they go in and he gets in there to find out where these men are. And this is so incredible. He brings them out. Now, I think if I was the jailer, my first question would be, why didn't you guys leave? Why didn't you leave? Right? 
They had the opportunity. That seems like a logical question. I'll let you come up with your own in your groups. Another question I would have asked this, how did you know I was about to kill myself? You couldn't see me. How did you know that? Who told you this? So you've got these questions that are just piercing questions that I want to know answers to. But what's the question he asks? He didn't ask those ones. What did he ask? Thank you. What must I do to be saved? Whoa! This jailer knew something powerful, spiritually transforming, was taking place. And he doesn't say, why didn't you run away? How did you know I was about to kill myself? He asks the question that's plagued humanity since our beginning. What must I do to be saved? In fact, it is the question that has spawned all kinds of religious activity, false religions, cults, mysticisms, atheism. It's the question we all ask, whether we're public about it or not. What must I do to be saved? And he's standing before Paul and Silas. And he wants to know. He's never experienced this. Tell me, what do I need to do to be saved? And you know what Paul says to him? Nothing. You're going, heretic? That's not what the Bible says. No, let me explain. Religion will tell you, you need to follow these rules. You need to engage in this activity. You need to do all of these acts of contrition if you want to be saved. Paul says, believe. Because it's all been done. Jesus did it all. When he died on the cross, he paid all the penalty for sin. He broke the power of sin. He set you free. You see our chains? We're free. Jesus set the same chains off of you. You are spiritually free. Just believe. And the jailer, immediately, his whole household, it says that they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what did they do? They were baptized. Do you think there's a theme here? If you believe in Jesus, get baptized. If, did I say it earlier? Okay, but just in case I didn't, if you haven't been baptized, get baptized. Get serious about your faith. Follow Jesus. So they get baptized. No, here it comes. It gets better. It gets even better. I'm going to land the plane. Trust me. So they get baptized. He takes and prepares a meal. He, he takes care of their wounds. He prepares a meal, and he serves them hospitality. And I said this earlier, and I want to repeat it because I need you to catch this. If you're really spiritually committed to growing in your faith, When your heart is gripped by grace, your life and actions will be governed by grace. So what he does is he believes, he gets baptized, and immediately he says, let me prepare a meal and come into my home. This is a man who's serving the Roman authorities. He's going, I don't care who sees me now. I want to follow this Jesus, so my home is your home. You come in, we'll feed you, we'll care for your friends. God did something in a powerful way. There was unprecedented favor. He took this small fledgling church that was birthed down by the river, and he brings it into the very inner parts of the city, and he goes, this is how I build my church, and hell will not prevail against it. So if Jesus can do that with a church, imagine what he could do with your interruptions. We often think our interruptions are so big that God can't handle them. So think about it. What are you struggling with today? What's that issue that's derailed you and made you feel like, where's God in the middle of this? Can I remind you that there's an opportunity that's embedded inside, and it's going to have a little bit of resistance, but when it comes to the end of it, man, his favor is going to be all over you if you trust him and you follow him, because that's how the God that I serve works, and I want him to be your God too. Amen? Amen. Father, this morning... The power of the truth of your word, may it penetrate our hearts and spirits and minds. Help us not just to read and talk and think about it, help us to live it. And may this fall we truly grow into the people that we're called to be, choosing joy 
in life's everyday moments because that's who we are and that's what you've called us to do. Amen.